Welcome back. Welcome back to the podcast, the Bibliotherapy for Black Women podcast. It's your host, Amaka. Um, Let me paint a quick picture. I am in a hotel room sitting at a desk. I came to Connecticut yesterday to see a dear friend of mine who had a baby in March. So I am going to see her later today. And it is quite apt that it is Mother's Day too. Although that's not the reason why I came on this weekend. It just kind of fell on that. Um, You know, that just happened to be coincidence. So I'm going to see her today. Very excited to see her baby. She had a boy and he's about two months now. So I'm going to go see her, see how she's doing, check in with her, see the baby. And that's probably the going to be the highlight of my day today. But outside of that, I am just feeling good about getting a little bit of alone time. I got here yesterday afternoon after meeting up with a friend for brunch in Harlem. So I left and got to Harlem, was there for a couple hours, and then made my way up to Connecticut, and I got here late afternoon yesterday, and I'm here throughout today, figured it would be the best time now, especially since I'm due to publish tomorrow, figured now, this morning, would be the best time to record. And ideally for me, the morning is the best time to record. My recording days, I like to, ideally, like to record in the morning, but because of my current living situation and scheduling and things like that, it doesn't always work out that way. But left to me, this is my ideal recording time. And then tomorrow, I'm set to go back to New York. Before I do, I'm going to meet one of my dear, dear friends for lunch, check in with her. When I found out that we were moving, I had a list of people in my mind who I wanted to check in with most desirably in person. If I couldn't see them in person, I'd probably call them or like do like a FaceTime with them. But I've had a few people who I'm like, as far as I can help it, I want to see them before I leave. So I've kind of been on this. I don't know what to call it in my mind, like a um, a farewell tour of sorts. It sounds so weird because like if I really want to see these people, I'm going to have to get on a plane and fly, but Chicago to New York is nothing. And a few of these friends have expressed interest in coming to see me when I move. So, you know, I'm really appreciative and thankful to have friends as such in my life. And it has been not by a lack of effort. I've talked on this podcast many times about how my perspective on friendship has changed over the years and how 
I have realized how much more effort it takes to sustain a friendship, especially as adults. I thought when I was in my like teens and early 20s that even up to like mid to late 20s to a degree that, you know, being a friend can be, you know, kind of just checking in and texting and all that stuff. But I crave connection, like deep, authentic connection, not only with my family, but with my friends, because I feel like sometimes friends can give you support that maybe family or not. Let me not say family in general, but maybe particular family members cannot provide you. And to get to that point, like to get to the point that I have gotten to with certain friends of mine has been with consistent effort, with checking in, with calling, with voice notes, with following up, with seeing them, you know, and also too just being open because one thing too that I am glad I realized not too late was some of the best friendships might be packaged in a way that if you do not let go of any preconceived notions or first impressions sometimes, you will miss out on an amazing relationship with a person. And when I say relationship, I'm not, I don't mean romantic. Relationship is often associated with like romantic relationships, but relationships and when it comes to friends, If you are stuck with a particular idea of what a friendship should be like or who you should be friends with, you might miss out on some of the most impactful friendships in your life. And that's another thing some years back that I adjusted in terms of mindset for myself. Some of the greatest people I've met recently, um are several years older than me. Some are younger than me by a few years. Um, And being open to the wide variety of the type of people that I have crossed paths with has enriched my life when it comes to my friendships. So this is not an episode about friendships, but kind of talking about why I'm here kind of brought about, you know, my, my feelings around the topic right now. So yes, if I were to kind of wrap this up in a bow, it would be to make more effort in your friendships. If you can't see your friends all the time, that's okay. We're adults. We all have busy lives. Like the two friends I'm seeing this weekend both have kids. So I really appreciate them you know, still having time to see me and reach out to me and, you know, make that effort despite having kids. So making the effort, calling, 
alongside texts, um, voice notes sometimes are helpful too. I've said this, you know, many times before, because I think, I think voice notes, it depends on the person though. Some people don't really vibe with voice notes, but thankfully a few of my friends do. And for a couple of relationships, one in particular, that's the reason why we're still very close because we share voice notes when we can't talk on the phone or we can't see each other. So yeah, making more effort in that way, seeing you seeing each other when you can see each other and supporting each other. I talked about how one of my good friends, the one who actually was very receptive to the communication of voice notes, she ran an ultra marathon a few weeks ago and I went, it was in Virginia and I went to go and see her and support her and she was so thankful. So supporting each other with big life events, you know, if you can do it in person, there's no replacing that. What else? You know, doing things just because one of my, another one of my good friends, like she'll randomly like send me things. Like one time we met up, she's the one I'm actually seeing tomorrow. One time we met up a couple of months ago, she, I don't know if I said this on the podcast, she just came with a gift. And I'm like, girl, what is this? She was like, I saw this and thought of you. And it was um, a t-shirt. She found this black owned bookstore in her town where she lives. And she bought a t-shirt from that store for me. And She was at Target one day because that's where we be at. (laughs) She loves Target. I love Target. So she was at Target one day and she saw this puzzle. I think it's like 500 pieces or something. And she said, I saw this puzzle and I thought of you. And it the picture was a black girl doing yoga in her living room with her plants around her and her cat and just feeling you know, so in tune and calm and serene. And I was like, I, I, I couldn't have felt so I couldn't have felt better than I did in that moment, because there's nothing like having such a connection with someone to where they are out living their life and something they see reminds them of you. And, you know, we share things like I, the, um, affirmation track that I shared on the last episode, I sent it to her the minute I heard it. There's this, like I mentioned also this like peaceful morning playlist that I've started listening to more frequently. And I sent it to her just in case she was interested, like just sharing things with with each other, I think is helpful too with cultivating friendships because it sends the message to the person that they're on your mind. And that means a lot because as adults, we're dealing with a million and one things at a specific time. So if you carved out even a minute in your day to be like, 
Let me send this to this person. Let me pick this up for this friend. I know she would love this type of thing. I really think there aren't enough words to describe how that can make you feel because I know how it makes me feel. And it's like those things that it's those type of things amongst everything else and more that keep relationships going. So I'm going to stop there about friendships. I could talk forever about friendships because I feel like it's something that I struggled with for a very long time on how to sustain and maintain. And I feel like with some lessons I've learned, I've gotten better at it. And it has made a world of difference. So that's it for that. We're going to move on. So I just wanted to talk quickly about something that I have realized has helped me when it comes to certain things that I set out to do consistently, but sometimes it's hard for me and I know I can't be the only person. I've realized that there are certain spaces of time in terms of minutes to where if I say I'm going to do something, there's a certain, it's almost like, I don't know how many listeners are familiar with like the, you know, old children's tale of like Goldilocks and the three bears about, you know, the porridge and having one being too hot and one being too cold and one being just right. I have realized that for myself, when I want to commit to doing something, there is a number in my mind where it's like, can I do this for this amount of minutes? In my mind, I'm like, okay, no, that's too short. Like, I feel like I'm not doing anything. And then there's a number in my mind where if I consider it, I am like dreading doing the task. And then there's a number in my mind when I consider it. I'm like, that is perfect for me. That's the right number for me. So let me give an example. When it comes to working out, I have struggled for a lot of my life to be consistent with exercising to the point where I don't even like to refer to it as exercising. I like to refer to it. I'm, I feel more motivated when I say I'm going to go work out versus I'm going to go exercise. It's so crazy how words and numbers can motivate you or discourage you to do certain things. That's why I feel like it's not necessarily that you are the problem or that you're struggling, but you really need to find that sweet spot for yourself. You need to know how your brain works. You need to know what your mind positively and negatively responds to. So for me, I mentally respond negatively to the word exercising. I don't know why. In fact, it might be good for me to think about that a little bit. And off the top of my head, I think I have a negative reaction to the word exercising because from when I was like a preteen, I had I had an issue with my weight in my preteen teenage years. I got it under control when I was like in college. 
like from like 20 on, you know, because it became something I kind of put on myself to take care of. But before then, it was like I was having an issue with weight and my mom and my dad were getting on me about it. And they used the word exercise. You have to go and exercise. You have to go and exercise. And I think I have a negative connotation to that word exercise because my parents used it on me, you know, obviously not intentionally in a negative way, but the pressure to go exercise and lose weight was not fun for me. And it felt like a burden and I felt pressure and the autonomy around working out and my health was not left to me. So I do not have positive feelings around that word. But I came to the term working out by myself. When it comes to the action of working out, those two words, I came to that myself. And that's why my brain receives working out those two words more positively. So even now, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go work out. And my brain is like, okay, let's go. Let's do it. But the minute I think of the word exercise, I feel more mental friction. So when it comes to working out, I'm like, okay, how long are we going to do this? And 15 minutes always sounds too short for me. Like, I feel like 15 minutes for me personally, for there might be people out there who 15 minutes is perfect, you know, and they don't have to do more. They don't have to do less. That's exactly what they need. But for me and my frame, you know, physically, when I think about 15 minutes, it is not long enough. I feel like I'm not getting the most out of what I could do. Um, and then when I think about 30 minutes, oftentimes I think about how in my mind it feels too long. Like, I don't know that I can stick to 30 minutes for a workout. And when I think about 20 minutes, I'm like, okay, my brain is literally like, my brain positively registers the number 20 for some reason when it comes to working out within the context of working out. So I'm like, okay. We don't have to go beyond 20. And I don't know if I, I don't know if the word trick is a good word to use, like tricking my brain. But when I'm getting ready to work out and I say, if we do 20 minutes, it's fine. We don't have to go beyond 20 minutes. Literally, I think it is a tool to just help me get to the gym or get on the exercise machine or just get out and walk because. 99% of the time, unfailingly, I go beyond that number. So I think for me and for, you know, I'm sharing this because it can help anyone who is listening. It's really a matter of just getting into the motion because the hardest part is getting started. If you are laying in the bed comfortable watching Netflix or reading or on TikTok, it's going to be harder to get into motion versus if you are already standing up and you are already dressed for your workout and you just get going. But what helps me get from that space of rest 
to get to that place of motion is to tell myself, it doesn't have to be a long workout. And I think for, in terms of like having a foundation of what gets me going, telling myself it doesn't have to be long, takes off so much mental pressure from me, it's crazy. And honestly, that's one of the reasons why I've kept on with this podcast as well, because when I'm not in the mood to record, what gets me up and going is telling myself, oh, it doesn't have to be long. It could be a 20 minute podcast. But by the time I get going and my mind is going and, you know, I'm talking, I can blink and it's 45 minutes recorded. At the end of the day, if I have something to do and I need to go from a place of comfort to a place of action and discomfort to a level, it's those seven words that get me going. It does not have to be long. And it's crazy how telling myself that really gets me up and doing what I need to do. When I want to get some reading done, the number in my mind that is too short is 10 minutes. Anything less than 10 minutes, I'm like, girl, you can do better than that. (laughs) I almost like admonish myself. 20 minutes of reading sometimes feels too long, especially if I have a particularly busy day. But 15 minutes in my mind is like, okay, I can carve out 15 minutes in my day to read a chapter or two. When it comes to writing, 15 minutes sometimes sounds too long in my brain. It's crazy how this works sometimes because 15 minutes when it comes to working out is too short, but 15 minutes when it comes to writing is too long. And then five minutes when it comes to writing is, girl, you can do better than that. And I want to also say, again, this is me because, you know, as long as you get that thing going, no time is too small, but you have to find what numbers, what times are right for you. So for me, if I want to write in my mind, five minutes is like, girl, you can do better than that. 15 minutes is like, I don't think I can commit to 15 minutes of writing right now, but 10 minutes, 10 minutes. As I'm speaking these numbers out, I am feeling the changes of the sensation in my body and my brain. (laughs) But when I think about writing for 10 minutes, I'm like, that's perfect. I can write for 10 minutes. I can put a timer on, count down 10 minutes and start to write. And, you know, I pointed these three things out because these are three things in my life that either make me feel better or bring me joy in a way. But sometimes it's just hard to get going. And for podcasting, for recording my episodes, 20 minutes is the number. 15 minutes recording for 15 minutes just feels too short. You know, 30 minutes can feel too daunting. But 20 minutes, I'm like, I can record for 20 minutes. You know, I usually record my episodes in one sitting. I don't think I've ever like, stopped and then continued the next day. It's usually, you know, if I can't record, if I can't devote a certain amount of time, I'll just have to wait until I can. But if I'm struggling to get started, I'm like, you know, it doesn't have to be long, 20 minutes. And unfailingly, like 
99% of the time I go longer than the plan was. And I just wanted to share this because I know there are folks out there. I know there are people out there who struggle with doing things that they know is good for them, but don't know how to get going. And I want to encourage y'all to just release yourself of the pressure, like let go of the daunting amount of time that you are trying to commit to to get something done just say to yourself it does not have to be long you know I want to get some movement in my day I want to work out what's that number in your mind that you think of that your brain agrees with you know even if it's five minutes I want to walk around my block once your mind agrees with that go with it Because you'll get outside. And if you do that one round the block and you come back and you're like, I'm good, then you've done it. But if you get out and you start walking and you start feeling good, don't be surprised if you walk around 10 times or five times or however many times. Because the hardest and most important part is just getting going. And what I tell myself is it does not have to be long. And whatever mental friction or whatever pressure that I had, you know, just lifts. And I'm just like, okay, let's do this. And then, you know, momentum starts to generate and you shock yourself at how much you've accomplished. So I just wanted to share that because it has done wonders for me. Truly, it's done wonders when it comes to productivity with certain things I want to get done in my life. And I hope that helps. I hope that helps because it has helped me tremendously. So let's move on to talking about all about love. We have covered the introduction piece and we talked about chapter one in the last episode. So today is all about chapter two which is called Justice, Childhood, Love Lessons. And a lot of the content in this chapter has been talked about a little bit in chapter one and the introduction. There is a focus particularly in this chapter about children. And I want to start by reading a portion of page 17, which is the beginning of the chapter. We learn about love in childhood. Whether our homes are happy or troubled, our families functional or dysfunctional, it's the original school of love. I cannot remember ever wanting to ask my parents to define love. To my child's mind, love was the good feeling you got when family treated you like you mattered and you treated them like they mattered. Love was always and only about good feeling. In early adolescence, when you were whipped and told that these punishments were for your own good, or I'm doing this because I love you, my siblings and I were confused. Why was harsh punishment a gesture of love? As children do, we pretended to accept this grown-up logic, but we knew in our hearts that it was not right. 
we knew that it was a lie. Just like the lie the grown-ups told when they explained after harsh punishment, it hurts me more than it hurts you. There is nothing that creates more confusion about love in the minds and hearts of children than unkind and or cruel punishment meted out by the grown-ups they have been taught they should love and respect. Such children learn early on to question the meaning of love, to yearn for love, even as they doubt it exists. I remember hearing a variation of that phrase growing up as well. It hurts me more than it hurts you. Or, you know, this is hard for me to do or something like that. And I could not wrap my head around that. First of all, I'm the one sustaining the pain, the physical pain, in addition to the emotional pain. You may be dealing with some emotional pain around this experience or incident, I am dealing with double the pain. I'm dealing with the physical pain of the physical punishment. And I'm dealing with the emotional pain around this being done to me. So I could not make sense of that as a child. I definitely related to that. And I also struggled with my definition of love, which she talks about in the quote, what I understood love to be, such punishments were completely antithetical to that. And even as an adult, which is why I've come to the place where I'm just like, if I have children, I'm not physically punishing them. Like I need to figure out a way, another way to teach them or put forth a lesson that I'm trying to have them learn. And when it comes to breaking down the word discipline in itself, at its heart, it means to teach. When you're trying to teach a child a lesson, are they really learning what you're trying to teach them? Or are they really, are they ultimately learning that if they do what they do, they have to hide it from you? You know, so I've thought about all these things to one degree or another, you know, when it comes to what Bell Hooks is saying in the book that I could never reconcile my parents loving me with the punishment that I had to endure. It did not make sense. And it still does not make sense. A lot of times growing up, the Bible was used to justify the physical punishment, spare the rod, spoil the child. And sure, it's in the Bible, but I have to say personally, I disagree. Inflicting physical punishment, in my opinion, is unwarranted. It's not needed. There are ways to teach the child in a way that does not have to involve that. And it may mean doing more work. It may mean doing more work to try and see what works or what will resonate and you know some people may think it's easy for me to say this I'm not a parent I'm not a mom that's true some people may think you might change your mind when you're in that position I sure to God hope not I feel pretty convicted in how I feel and reading this book just 
if anything, just further solidifies that. And I have surrounded myself with parents who are my age, who have resolved to not use physical punishment as part of their tools to raising their kids. So when it comes to, you know, how I grew up with that, I did not have the understanding then that I do now, despite the fact of deciding that that's not a tool that I'm going to use. I am empathetic to a degree. I have some empathy towards my parents because they don't know a reality or a world where the children are not disciplined physically. You know, we weren't physically disciplined for everything, every mistake we made. If it was kind of quote unquote big things in their mind, big mistakes that we made, you know, physical punishment would be involved. But I'm looking to change that direction for myself by finding out, figuring out for myself how to address big mistakes that my children make without inflicting physical pain on their body. And kind of going back to the empathy piece, Bell Hooks talks about how the grown-ups in the house, the parents may not know a reality where physical punishment is not involved. So they don't know anything else. They don't know that there can be a way to send a message across to your children without beating them or just what have you. And she continues on page 19, but love will not be present if the grown-ups who parent do not know how to love. Although lots of children are raised in homes where they are given some degree of care, love may not be sustained or present. So when it comes to showing how to love the children, and I think I talked about this on the previous episode too, they can only do what they know. When it comes to how to discipline kids, they can only do it based on their understanding. When it comes to showing love, they can only do it based on their understanding, even if the understanding may be flawed when it comes to kind of grouping love and punishment in the physical sense together. And she touches on a concept too that I feel like is not talked about a lot. On the bottom of page 19 into page 20, she says, Until we live in a culture that not only respects but upholds basic civil rights for children, most children would not know love. In chapter one, I believe that Bell Hooks gives a pretty comprehensive definition of love, which is encompassing of several different actions and things of the like. So I will go back to chapter one quickly and just read what she puts forth love to be. And she writes, to truly love, we must learn to mix various ingredients, care, affection, recognition, respect, commitment, and trust, as well as honest and open communication. 
And like I just read, she mentions that until we live in a culture that not only respects, but also upholds basic civil rights for children, most, most children would not know love. She includes respect in those terms, in those words that she writes to kind of paint the picture of what love consists of. And I think respect is a big piece of it because I believe the generation before us was unfamiliar, more unfamiliar with the concept of respecting children. Children are born and as they are reared and as they grow, they are not seen as adults. Obviously, they're not kids. They're not adults, but they're still human beings. They're little human beings, but they're still human beings. And there's a degree of respect just on the most basic level that a human being ought to be given that is not often given to kids. Because the notion a lot of the times is you're a child, I'm the adult, I tell you what to do, you do it without any questioning, any lip, any attitude. And if that is contended with, even at the slightest degree, the child may be punished. The concept of respecting a child when it comes to conversation and what I hear, you know, amongst people is uncommon to talk about. But I think it will help with the job of raising kids because granted they're brought into this world, they need guidance, they need protection, they need teaching, but respecting your child and teaching them and guiding them and rear them does not have to be mutually exclusive. You can do all the things you need to do as a parent while respecting your children and respecting your child as a basic human being. And the word respect might also need to be break, broken down within the context of how to do it with kids. Off the top of my head, you know, that can just mean allowing them to express themselves. I did not feel like I could express myself when I was younger. And I felt like the few times where I took the risk, it was not worth it. So getting to the point where, you know, becoming a parent one day, I have resolved, and I pray this that this does not change. I have resolved that I am going to be the parent that lets their children express themselves. Granted, it is in a respectful way. You know, if they disagree with me on a course of action or something I want to do that involves them, I'm going to hear them out. I didn't get that when I was younger. But I want that to be something that I change, you know, when it comes to respect for their physical self, for their body, I feel like personally, my personal opinion, I feel like I have to say that my personal opinion is that physical punishment does not respect the physical body of the child. And 
you know, like I said, I felt like I had to preface the, this is my personal opinion. And this comes from my experience of being on the receiving end of physical punishment as a kid and thinking about how it has affected me as an adult and how I'm still, I'm still working through some trauma around some physical punishments that I endured as a, as a, as a child. And having that be my reality, I cannot fathom being the perpetuator of that physical punishment. So that's kind of how my perspective on this has been formed. And, you know, reading this book, having that be done to a child, I think, does not honor their body and does not respect their body. And I just have made the decision that I won't, that won't be me in terms of how to teach them or how to put forth a lesson that they need to learn. I'll end this segment by just reiterating that despite the experiences I may have had as a kid, as an adult, even though I'm still working through some things, when it comes to the anger that I may have felt or the bitterness that I may have felt, that's no longer the case for me anymore because I understand that my parents were just doing what they thought was the best thing for me, even though as an adult, I wholeheartedly disagree that that was the course of action to take, but they felt without any question that they were doing what needed to be done and they were doing what was right. And that's where the empathy that I have for them comes in. And I just want to read the last part of this chapter, the last few sentences. I think it is um, a good way to end this discussion. Bell Hooks writes, Love is as love does, and it is our responsibility to give children love. When we love children, we acknowledge by our every action that they are not property, that they have rights, that we respect and uphold their rights. Without justice, there can be no love. So with that, I want to thank you guys for listening. As always, this is my 40th episode and I was writing out the name of the episode so as to be able to save it and there was a point where I couldn't have even fathomed this number so I want to thank you if you are just starting to listen to this podcast. I want to thank you if you found this podcast a few months ago. I want to thank you if you have been listening from the beginning. I want to thank you if you have listened to even one minute of my voice. And I want to thank you if you decided to spend a portion of day, of your day with me by listening to my voice and listening to my thoughts and listening to my perspectives. Um, because that's one of many reasons why I do this. 
I have struggled all my life with believing that what I think matters and what I have to say matters and that it matters enough to say it out loud to the hearing of other people. So in as much as the people listening, you know, get the lessons that they learn or, you know, just like to listen to what I have to say, turning on this mic and pressing record is always an exercise for me. It is always me working on that muscle of believing that what I have to say matters and that it matters enough to record it and it matters enough to put it out in the universe. So for the fact that it has largely been received so positively and I have received so much love and support means the world to me. You guys have no idea. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you again. Please leave, please leave a review on your preferred listening platform if this episode or other episodes have positively impacted you. Please rate, please share, please let everyone, friends, family, strangers know about this podcast. Please reach out to me. Feel free to DM me on Instagram. Feel free to email me at btbwpodcast at gmail.com. And I will talk to you guys soon. I love you guys. Thank you so, so much. And until the next episode. Okay. <laughs>